The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. As always, joined by your hosts, myself, Alex Fishbot. I do not have Big Sexy with me. I do not have Mike Bash with me either. It is just a solo episode for me today, but we're going to rock out with y'all. We're going to talk some NBA here. What we got on the docket this week, we're talking LeBron James because he started talking about retirement. We're talking Nikola Jokic and his historic postseason run so far. We got Jimmy Butler versus the world, James Harden wanting the max, and this rumor going around about Macau Bridges for the number three pick, and maybe Anthony Simons or Shaden Sharp. So, without further ado, let's get into some basketball here. So, just an update with the postseason. Denver, obviously already into the NBA Finals. Miami couldn't get the sweep done the other night, so they will be taking on the Boston Celtics tonight. We're recording this on Thursday, May 25th, so tonight they'll be taking on the Celtics in Game 5 back in Boston. Now, let's start off with the Denver versus LA Western Conference Finals because we haven't talked about it since that's been decided, so... I mean, Jokic has just been absolutely insane. I mean, just his stats have been pretty much otherworldly. In the Western Conference Finals alone, the man averaged 27.8 points, 14.5 rebounds, 11.8 assists, 1.3 steals, and 1.3 blocks while shooting 50.6% from the floor, 47% from three, and 77.8% from the free throw line. I mean, especially when you're talking about a center, you really can't, uh, you, you really can't even like make up numbers that are better than that. He is really proving that he can get what he wants, he can get, the job done when it comes to the postseason compared to, I mean, his two counterparts in the MVP race this year, Giannis and Joel Embiid. Now, both of them, yes, they they both got hurt in the postseason, but they still came up short in more ways than one. And meanwhile, Jokic is going up against anyone that the Western Conference throws at him. He's playing so well. He made Phoenix look silly. He made Minnesota look silly. And then swept the Lakers when everyone was crowning the Lakers as potential champions. I mean, they're like, oh, they got past the first round and they got past Memphis. Oh, they got past Golden State. So that means they they must make a run. Like, all they have to do is get past Denver. It's just Jokic and, and people just started acting like Denver was absolutely nothing. When they forget that Denver did get the number one seed in the West 
And it's not for nothing. Then enter guys like Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Contavious Caldwell Pope is putting up some some impactful games. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They have even guys like Bruce Brown and Jeff Green even contributing in there. Um, I mean, they have a lot of guys helping out. And even right now, when they weren't the favorites before, according to BovadaSportsBook.com, the Denver Nuggets are now the favorite out of the remaining three teams at minus 250, with the Miami Heat following them at plus 350, and Boston after them at plus 500. So, getting the respect they deserve in that regard, finally. But... They weren't getting all this kind of respect. I, I'll even admit, I wasn't respecting them for a little while there either. I I admit that. I I really thought that... Now, I take this kind of from um, the, the wording, at least. I take this from Mike Levin of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I thought that Joel Embiid's... The gap between Joel Embiid and Jokic on defense was bigger than the gap between Jokic and Embiid on offense. But I have to give, I have to tip my cap, I have to give the flowers where they're due. Jokic has been playing decent defense. He hasn't been a liability. He hasn't been the the defensive um, like hole that he has been in a lot of regular season games and even some postseasons prior. He has become at least average in a lot of those games, and really that's all he's needed to be because his offense is so great that really all he needs to be is average at defense. He doesn't have to be elite because his offensive game is beyond elite at this point. He's doing many things we don't see centers do. He's putting up stats we don't we haven't seen period, let alone centers put them up. So he has just vaulted himself into just a different stratosphere. I mean, let's go to the stats in the playoffs overall. If I can get to the player stats here. I don't know if they actually have them up for like the total playoffs. I know... Jokic leads the entire postseason in assists and win share so far. Uh, points leader is Jason Tatum. Rebounds leader is Anthony Davis. But let me go to Jokic's page right here and let me bring up his playoff averages. So, through the postseason, he's his, his uh, point total has actually dipped from last year, which last year was his highest at 31 points per game. Now, I also want to point out, in the five times he's made the postseason, he has not averaged less than 24 points a game, which is big in and of itself. But he's putting up 29.9 points, 13.3 rebounds, 10.3 assists, 1.1 steals per game with only 3.5 turnovers per game. Shooting 53.8% and 47.4%. His effective field goal is at 58, which is good for second highest of his postseason career. His free throw percentage actually is the lowest so far of his five postseasons, but that's really not neither here nor there, to be honest. Um, He also has 
eight triple doubles in this postseason so far. And on top of that, his PER is an absurd 31.6. His true shooting is a 61.9. I mean, even you can even go to like the box plus minus. He's at 13.4. And mind you, the bold... I'm looking at this on Basketball Reference, and the bold figures mean he's a league leader. I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in the advanced category that he's the league leader in. And that's PER, assist percentage, offensive win shares, total win shares, win shares per 48, offensive box plus minus, total box plus minus, and value over replacement player. Yeah, I say all that to say he's just been insane. He also leads the whole postseason in assists per game at 10.3. And that's coming from your center, which, again, is just absurd. It's ridiculous that he can do this but I also want to talk I don't I don't want to just talk about Jokic and leave out the fact that Jamal Murray has been balling Jamal Murray has been the leading scorer of the team he has he averaged 32 and a half points against the Lakers 6.3 rebounds 5.3 assists 2.8 steals which is big that's almost three steals a game that's nothing to to scoff at 52.7 percent from the field which is crazy because he he attempted 20 more threes than Jokic has. Yet he's shooting 20, sorry, 2.1% better than Jokic did. And then he's shooting 40.5% from three, 95% from the free throw line. I mean, just really insane numbers all around to be honest porter jr has stepped up in a big way we've been waiting for porter jr to really come into his own ever since he was drafted had all those injury issues there was a lot of stuff going on with michael porter jr where a lot of us thought hey we don't know if porter jr is even really gonna hang around in the league uh, uh, that long because of how often he was getting hurt and back injuries are just something never to take lightly. So when you had some of the issues that he was having, it, it wasn't that far-fetched to be like, I don't know if he's really going to even be in the league that long. However, here he is, third leading scorer on the team, playing very well, putting up very... Um, I say this word because I say it a lot, but like I... I holds a lot of weight like he's putting up impactful games his shooting percentage isn't amazing it's at 40.8 but his three-point percentage is at 42.4 still 15 points 9.3 rebounds a game I mean he's almost there up there to a double double as the third option on the team and like I said Contavious Caldwell Pope has been big especially on the defensive end of things Aaron Gordon has kind of been the the best Swiss army knife type of role player that they could have asked for so far he's been very integral in this team's success and then another Swiss army knife kind of guy Bruce Brown off the bench sometimes he'll play 36 minutes sometimes he'll play 22 but still have the same kind of impact no matter how much he plays uh in any of those games so there are this team is just so well-rounded we talked about supporting casts and you know the mvps that didn't have as good of a supporting cast everyone said joel Embiid had harden and maxi um Giannis had you know drew 
and Middleton when Middleton was finally healthy and the defense that they had. But I think a lot of people underrated the supporting cast of Jokic. And they wanted to say, you know, oh, look at his plus minus when he's off the floor compared to when he's on the floor, things like that. But we're truly seeing how good his supporting cast really is. We've seen Jamal Murray go crazy in the bubble before he got hurt and everything. So we knew his skill level was to a point that he could do that. He can have those type of games. He can put up a 50-point game. He can go crazy on offense and lead a team to a win. He has that potential and that skill level. But it took a while after that injury for him to really get back to that level. And I think we're seeing that really shine through in this postseason. And again, Porter Jr., another one. We weren't sure exactly where he was going to go with all those injuries, but now he's showing his importance to the team. Aaron Gordon is putting up, even though it's not his uh, best statistical season, maybe because of, you know, I mean, he was the number one option on Orlando, so he was really getting anything he wanted there. But one of his most important seasons, one of his most useful seasons, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I mean, there's not enough that can be said about the guy. He was also a part of the Lakers championship team when they won. He he knows how to make himself important on a team. So this supporting cast, I think, does get underrated a lot. However, Jokic's level of play is still just legitimately otherworldly. So... It can both things can be true where the supporting cast is super good and underrated, but Jokic is still that crazy level of MVP, just other world town at the same time. And that's what gets you to the finals. That's what makes you sweep the Western Conference finals and just be waiting and resting and getting ready for whoever you're going to play. I mean, to be honest, neither of these two teams left other than Denver, really look like they're going to challenge Denver that much. At least not right now. Even Miami. So, uh, before we get to Miami-Boston, I want to talk about the fact that after Jokic and company just took out the garbage and swept the Lakers, all of a sudden, LeBron's talking about retirement. Like, nobody was like there was nobody out there thinking LeBron was all of a sudden going to bring up retirement not a single person everyone was like oh LeBron's going to be back because he took this team this whole way with Anthony Davis's help and they you know they were underperforming for so long this season but now now after getting to the Western Conference Finals and getting a whiff of that possibility again Knowing the competitor that LeBron is, not many people thought he was going to even sniff at retirement. But now he talks about it. He just hints at it. And that's when a lot of people brought up the fact that he loves controlling the narrative. Not a lot of headlines were made about LeBron getting swept anymore. The headlines now were, oh, LeBron's considering retirement. He might retire. 
I see what he's doing. I see what you're doing, LeBron. I I get it. I see the mind games. I see you playing. You trying to play chess while everyone's playing checkers. But we're catching on. We are catching on to your game because a lot of us sniffed it out. We saw the fact that oh, you're just bringing up retirement now because you don't want the negative press. Because. After talking about retirement, he even said himself that he still feels like he's better than 85 to 90% of the league. So when you feel like you're that good still, and you're the competitor that you are, arguably the greatest of all time, the NBA's leading scorer, every accolade you can think of, and now all of a sudden you think of retirement. Hey. It's a good way to control the narrative. He did that. He did that. He controlled the narrative. He took away the negative press. Now it's all about his retirement and possible retirement. And oh my God, he's not going to get to play with Bronny and this and that. Instead of, hey, LeBron just got swept. The Lakers got their ass kicked. We're not not talking about it anymore. But it's the fact. The fact of the matter is they got their ass kicked. They got swept. And they got eliminated as they should have been a while ago. But they ran into some very good matchups. And they played well. They played well enough to win them. But now you face a team that's an actual championship contender. And you get swept. That's that's the difference. That's all I'm going to leave that at. That's all I'm going to leave the LeBron talk at. So let me go over to Jimmy Butler and the Heat versus the Celtics. Now, for the game tonight, Boston is actually, according to Bavada, Boston is eight and a half point favorites to beat Miami. It is currently in Boston. So they do have the home court advantage. However, there was a stat that the Celtics actually have one of the worst home playoff records in the last recent memory. I think it was like uh, five last five seasons or something like that. They've lost 11 times at home in the postseason. Now, that's good in and of itself to be able to lose 11 times in the, at home because that means you're going further, excuse me, into the playoffs every time. So good on you for being able to play that much in the postseason. But that doesn't bode well, especially so if we think about it, the second round, two of the games they lost to Philly were in Boston. Two, they've already lost two home games to Miami. The only game they won so far is in Miami. So I don't know if I'm... If I'm the Celtics faithful, I'm not super confident about it. I'm not sitting there and saying like, yeah, I I feel good about game five. We're going to get it. But then game six might be a little bit because it goes back to Miami. I'm still sweating a home game in game five because they, they don't look that great at home all the time. I mean, there's some, don't get me wrong, there's some home games where they go crazy and it's and the Celtics fans are going wild, it's bumping, like Game 7 against the Sixers. There are plenty of examples of that as well. However, they with, with this Miami team, 
they even talked about like with the defensive schemes that they've come up with and the defensive looks that they've thrown at Boston. Boston said themselves, a couple of their guys said, we have to figure out how they're defending us. I think Jalen Brown was the first one to say it. We have to figure out how they're defending us because some of the time, like we don't know how to beat this defensive scheme. And if that's one of your best players saying that, that's not great. I'm just just going to throw that little hint out there. That's not great. Um, so, again, I'm not super confident that the Celtics can get it done. And I think it's kind of crazy that they're eight and a half point favorites. Because, I mean, look, we saw ESPN give them a, what was it, 97% chance when the series first started. Then after the first game, it was still like an 80-something percent chance. Then after the second game, they were still favored like 70-something percent. And even like game four, when the game was tied, it was like Boston somehow still was kind of favored. I, like, I don't understand how that even works. Now, Miami did turn in one of their worst games in that game four. Bam Adebayo was pretty non-existent. Um, Jimmy Butler didn't have a great shooting night, even though he still finished with like 26 points or something like that. And so the Celtics won that game by 17. But with, you know, Tatum playing amazing, he had 33 uh, Gabe Vincent, um, even though he had a good first half, wasn't too great. He also sprained his ankle. Max Struess wasn't good. Uh, Kevin Love really didn't shoot well at all or really do anything. Kyle Lowry was pretty, pretty bad. Duncan Robinson was really bad. They had a lot of guys that were just bad. And on the other side, Boston, you know, Tatum at 33. However, Jalen Brown only had 17. He didn't really do all that well. Jalen Brown is still struggling to shoot the ball against Miami. Marcus Smart, struggling to shoot the ball. Derek White had a decent game. Al Horford had a decent game. Grant Williams was like the big thing off the bench because Brogdon played very poorly. Robert Williams, quality game though. So, now that I say all this to say, Boston... Their main guys outside of Jason Tatum didn't have that great of a game. And they won by 17. Now you can go to one of two ways with that. You could say, hey, they didn't have all those guys playing well and they still won by 17. Or you can say, hey, Miami just had a like the worst game of their postseason. And our guys weren't even playing that well. And we won by 17. The moment... Bam Adebayo just plays like he usually did in the first three games. That could all of a sudden be a tie game. Then you throw in more of uh, uh, more assistance from Lowry, Duncan Robinson hitting a few more threes. All of a sudden, it's swinging into the Heat's favor. So there's a lot of factors in this that now. I will say also before ahead of game five, a big hit for Miami. Gabe Vincent is out. That sprained ankle is a little too much for him to handle, so he's not going to be playing. 
And Gabe Vincent, in this series, is their third leading scorer behind Jimmy Butler and Caleb Martin. He has 17.5 points a game, shooting 57.9% from the floor, 50% from three. The only one who really has been playing like also otherworldly great uh, when they really have been like hit or miss all season is uh, Caleb Martin. I mean, Caleb Martin's having himself an amazing series, uh, such an impactful series. Bam Adebayo's had some some good games here and there, but he needs to really show up for this team to to have a chance to not blow a 3-0 lead. Um, and also, Kyle Lowry is just, he's completely disappeared shooting-wise. Like, he, I, I don't understand how he's struggling so hard just to shoot the ball. 35.5% from the floor, 33.3% from three. He is just really having a rough go of it. And that's, and I was talking about Jalen Brown having a rough go. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's still having a rough go. But Lowry's, you know, he's going to have to step up, especially with Gabe Vincent being out. But I go back to Jalen Brown, 39% from the floor, 12% from three-point in this series for Jalen Brown. 12. He has hit three threes off of 25 attempts terrible i mean the team in general has been pretty terrible from three outside of so tatum's at 31 percent. Derek white's at 52 he's he's been good uh marcus smart is at 31 percent from three brogdon is at 21 percent horford is at 31 percent and grant williams has been another one that's been pretty good i mean he's only taken 11 threes so they just haven't, you know, really turned a game other than game four. But especially when you compare it against to their series against the Sixers, yeah, they are shooting piss poor from three. Because you go back to the Sixers series, I mean, Tatum 36.8, Brown 43.2, Brogdon 52.3, Smart 34.1, Derek White 39.3% from three. Grant Williams didn't shoot well from three, but I mean, your top four shooters right there, all shooting 39 or more percent. I mean, that's a big stark difference from how they're shooting against Miami. So that is another storyline of this and further shows that they really don't understand how to beat this Miami defense. Now, will that one win spark them? We're, we'll wait to see, but, um, as of right now, for all of those betters out there, according to Bovada, to win the Eastern Conference MVP, Jimmy Butler, obviously the favorite. Jason Tatum, obviously the runner-up. But I don't know, Bam out of bio, if he has a really, really good game in this and really propels them to win, maybe he gets a little sneaky MVP in there. Uh, Jalen Brown's really far back at plus 5,000. And then after that, you got Gabe Vincent, Brogdon, Struess, and Marcus Smart. So, I mean... Jimmy Butler is, I feel like, undoubtedly going to win this unless they end up losing the series. So I would go with Jimmy Butler, even though it's not like you're going to win that much money. But, you know, sometimes you got to hedge your bets. So moving on. Some stupid news, if you ask me. James Harden. 
with all this talk about going to Houston, it comes, I mean, it hasn't like officially come out, but a lot of people are just saying it's a, it's a power play. He's trying to milk the Sixers for as much money as he can. Is that surprising? Not really. Does he deserve that kind of money? Not really. And now it puts the Sixers in a strange predicament because the Sixers say they let James Harden walk. They really don't have the cap to make many moves unless they trade away Tobias Harris. His contract is a little bit better to trade away because he's on the last year of it. So at least there's some wiggle room there. Probably attach, you know, another player or a pick or whatever it may be. And maybe you can get off of that deal um, and, and actually have some people that will actually be able to play in big situations. There's some rumblings I guess you could say about Golden State maybe looking to trade Jordan Poole maybe you pull off something with Tobias Harris and trading him away for Jordan Poole and I don't know other stuff not saying that that's really all that realistic because I mean Golden State probably would want a little more than Tobias or whatever the Sixers have to offer unless they're giving them like Tyrese Maxey but at that point for the Sixers that's not in your benefit either so yeah there's a lot of things that Daryl Morey is going to have to look at here and it's just absurd to me that after this season James Harden can look at his body of work and say I think I deserve the max for four years like I'm sorry but what were you watching this whole time are you only talking about the two big games you had against Boston? Are you not are you neglecting the fact that we have all seen you obviously lose a step and if you've lost a step now at the ripe age of 33 we're supposed to be convinced that you're not going to lose another step next year or two steps or another step the year after that. That much money for that many years for James Harden is just insane. I would much rather pay James Harden one year like 40 mil. If you can, if Maury can somehow do that and then be like, we're rid of you. That would probably be best case scenario. But this whole four year 200 mil like. Bro, there's just no, there's no way. Like the, if the Sixers truly think that James Harden is going to give them their best shot at a title next year, and they go through with this deal, and they don't win the title, you are screwed for the foreseeable future with no picks, an aging star on a terrible contract that nobody's going to want. You then also have to re-sign Tyrese Maxey after that. Joel Embiid also getting older, getting to the other side of 30 at that point. P.J. Tucker getting close to 40 with another 
uh, I don't know what another eleven mil or something like that. Like, what do you do after that? Because your window with James Harden is next year. That's the that's the whole window. Especially like because re-signing him gives you even less wiggle room with trading away Tobias. So your window is literally one season. And that is just a recipe for disaster for the future of the team and the the Joel Embiid tenure in Philadelphia. So at this rate, if I was Daryl Morey, I would be looking into maybe a sign-and-trade. I would be looking into every plan B, C, D, E, F, G possible so that when Harden walks, because he played his hand a little too hard, because nobody really wants to get in the max. They even talked, uh, I think it was Windhorst, and there was somebody else, said that the Sixers really don't have the appetite to pay James Harden the max. And Daryl Morey and James Harden can be as good of a friend as they want. But if Daryl Morey wants to keep his job and still stay a GM in the NBA, he's not going to give James Harden that type of money because they're friends. That's just, that's not the smart basketball move. And it's also not the smart business move. That would be a strictly friend move. And then if he, if he resigns, James Harden to a max deal and then has the nerve to go and sign Mike D'Antoni. I might as well just start watching Houston Rockets games because that's going to be the future Philadelphia 76ers in 10 years. Uh, like if that if that is truly what is going to happen I like I I can't even really put it into words. I'll say right right now. So according to Bavada, they already have the odds for NBA champion of next season. The Sixers are seventh at plus thirteen hundred. If it happens where they re-sign James Harden and then they sign Mike D'Antoni, I guarantee that their odds are going to drop like a brick. There's no way. There's just there's no way in hell. And like I said, if they if he truly thinks that he's going to bring James Harden in, and then just say, oh yep, let me bring in Mike D'Antoni too. You might as well go get Eric Gordon. You might as well go get Capella for the backup. Like just fuck it. Go go all in. Go all in with the whole Houston, the whole Philadelphia Rockets. Just get everybody. Why not? Because we're obviously not being serious here. We're not being, we're not thinking in terms of, oh, we're actually going to be a championship contender. If that's truly what's happening here. My guy Mario from Chile. What's up, man? He says, sup, my G. What's going on, man? For those of you who might be listening on our audio platforms, we go live with every episode on YouTube. So 
If you didn't know, now you know. Check us out on YouTube. We're at The Atlantic Files. So we're on there too. You can chat with us live as we talk about the topics of the week. So all in all, yeah, I, there's no way I'm paying James Harden that money. Um, there, I could think of a lot of other people I'd rather pay that money to. And James Harden is not at the top of that list. I was already, if you guys go back to our previous episodes before the actual trade happened with Ben Simmons, I was not a fan of the James Harden trade in the beginning. I actually said that I wanted Tyrese Halliburton. I still stand by the fact that I want Halliburton. Halliburton gives you the better chance at long, longer-term success. He also is still getting better and could probably have done better against the Celtics than James Harden. I'm convinced. Even if he didn't have those 45, the 45 point game, whatever, I still think he somehow would have done better overall and won more games for the Sixers than James Harden. That's just my thoughts on that matter. But let's move on. We have one more topic for this week. This this episode this week will be a little bit shorter since it is just me. Um, just to so we don't have me sounding like an echo chamber to myself. Um, so the last topic of this week. Macau Bridges has been in the, the rumor mill. Everyone's been talking about a trade with Portland. And at first it was... A rumor that Dame would go to Brooklyn because Dame is friends with Macau Bridges and Dame doesn't really want to be in Portland anymore, even though he kind of does, but at the same time kind of doesn't. I still don't understand that whole dynamic going on there, but the rumor is Brooklyn would trade Macau Bridges for the number three pick, Anthony Simons, and maybe Shaden Sharp. Now, that would be a huge pickup for Portland. I mean, adding Macau Bridges to what they have going on would already be huge. He's a huge upgrade from uh, from Anthony Simons, for sure. Sharp, we're still waiting to see exactly what he can be. He still has a, a long ways to go, so we don't exactly... I can't. I can't put a value on Sharp at this very moment. He's had some very good games when a lot of the team was hurt, when Dame was sitting near the end, too. Sharp had some very, very solid games. If I'm Brooklyn, though, the only way I'm making that deal is if it's at the draft and I see that Scoot fell to the number three pick. That's the only way I'm making that deal. If you can get somebody like Scoot. Because otherwise, even though Macau Bridges is, like he's not old, but in NBA terms, he's older. So it kind of speeds up your timeline a little bit. You start to want to get, uh, you start to get like a uh, fire under your seat to really bring in some players that, 
can make you compete sooner rather than later, which we've all seen could could go somewhat well or it could go very, very badly. He is 26 right now, so he will be 27 at the start of next season. So it's you're just in that limbo. You're in the limbo of do we want to... Because the other thing is... The other thing I want to say is that you don't know with the current contracts you have going on because Cam Johnson also is up for for to get a an extension or a new contract. Claxton has been has gotten his extension, but I mean he, he's not cheap. You still have Ben Simmons holding down a huge contract. I mean. And they say he's been progressing in rehab, but we've also heard that last season. So you really can't bank on anything Simmons is doing until you finally see it happen. So that's another big issue there. So there, like the the problems of the roster are glaring. There's still a lot of work to be done for this Brooklyn team to actually be a contender. So, with that being said, and all the picks you got back from the Kyrie and Kevin Durant deals, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to just blow it up and start over and really get that number one guy right away if you know that Scoot is still on the the board. The other thing is, and I'm kind of just trying to think of this through as I'm saying it, but with all those picks, you can probably find some quality players to get back. I mean, say Portland actually goes the other way and they're the one that want to rebuild. Maybe you could get Dame for a package of those picks plus, I don't know, the other guys you have on your team like... Cam Thomas and Sharp and, you know, just some, Dayron Sharp, I should say, just some younger guys that they could, you know, kind of struggle with and see what happens. Maybe even try and pull over, you know, like Jeremy Grant or something like that at when you trade for, for Damian Lillard. I don't know. But it, I feel like this whole thing with Brooklyn is a very big balancing act where, one decision shows the hand of if they're trying to compete next season or if they're just going to, you know, start gathering more chips. There's a it's a it's kind of a crapshoot. I would rather see Brooklyn try to go for it with Macau Bridges because I think that they could be a very fun team. Um, as of right now, according to Bavada, their odds are way down there, below even Oklahoma City and Toronto and Minnesota. They're at plus 8,000. Um, like I said, that could change quite easily with the with just one deal. So there's a lot of moves to be made still. There's a lot of movement in those odds still to come in this offseason, especially when free agency hits and we see who they give extensions to, who they give some contracts to. 
But I would like to see them try and compete and and build that team with Macau. Maybe he's not even as a number two. But yeah, it's going to be just something to monitor as the offseason goes on. But that is it for me so that I don't uh, repeat myself 500 times for all you listeners out there. So I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, if you, as I said, if you're listening on the audio platforms, you also like some video platforms. <clears throat> we are on YouTube at the Atlantic Files. Make sure you subscribe. Hit the bell below for notifications. Hit that like button. Leave a comment on any of your thoughts and opinions on what we talked about or even just to say hey you guys suck or hey you guys are awesome helps us out with the algorithm for our videos and everything like that we highly and very much so appreciate it um and for all on the audio platforms please rate review that goes a long way for us we're on spotify apple google anywhere you get your podcasts on audio platforms we're everywhere and we even have some video on spotify now so check that out as well But that's it for us this week. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.